And we say hello to you, everybody, on a glorious day in the capital city. Jim and Trent right here on the Big Talker 1700. And a fine show that we have for you today on Thursday. Uh, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, Ken Silverstein, our Big Ten Conference Insider, will join us. We'll pick his brain a little bit about Big Ten football and also get some information, since he's based in Cleveland, on the game coming up Saturday night in the NBA playoffs between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Boston Celtics. In the 5 o'clock hour, we're headed to beautiful Las Vegas. Chris Andrews from the South Point Casino will join us, and Seth Gruen will be here as well. We'll do some Major League Baseball conversation with Seth. Trent, how you doing, pal? I can't complain, Jimmy B. Everything going well here in my world, getting ready for... Uh, weekend, you know, making your way through a Thursday, you know how it is, but mm-hmm. can't yep. complain. Everything's uh, pretty good at this point. Uh, you know, it's May. It's May, and yeah. well, we're off the next couple of nights with the NBA playoffs, so we don't get that started again until Saturday as they're trying to stretch this out as much as possible. Game one of the NBA Finals will begin on May 31st, so it's just uh, kind of a, a wait-and-see period at this point in time. Last night in the NBA, though, Jim... Those Houston Rockets, I told you, bounce back. Hey, listen, I had them too. I, I picked them. Look, I they had to. Otherwise, they would have been swept uh, in this series against Golden State. I picked this to be a six-game series. Uh, it has the potential now to be that. It seemed to me that the Rockets were extremely desperate, and that's the way they played, played much better defensively, and Golden State... I felt Trent had one of those lull kind of games. The things, they just didn't go well for them, didn't go smoothly for them. And then late in the second half, they just kind of waved the white flag and said, all right, we just want to get on the plane and get back to the left coast. So that's the way I perceived the game last night. I thought Houston, particularly in that first half, really changed the way that they played. They moved the basketball extremely well and just kept Golden State out of sorts defensively for that entire first half. It carried over into the third quarter. The fourth quarter was pretty much a blowout. Yeah, it got away from them and the continued speculation. Steph Curry, he's certainly not 100%. I think we can all see that. Right. But, so how debilitating do you believe this is? Are you a believer that this is something that, that is going to be a concern going forward, that it's going to be the difference maker between this team getting out of the Western Conference Finals or, or winning an NBA championship? Because I'm still not ready to go there. No, I'm not ready to go there yet. Uh, it's obvious that he is not 100%. And I I don't know how it's going to play out the rest of the way in this series. I do know this, that Chris Paul made him look pretty average a couple of times uh, handling the basketball, and Curry could not respond defensively. So what, what that issue is with Curry, he is not 100% back, and it showed particularly in last night's game. I'm, I'm curious... If indeed Houston can maintain the sort of basketball IQ trend when they get on the road at Golden State that they showed in last night's game in Houston on the Rockets home court because they moved the basketball so effectively and efficiently and got wide open looks. That wasn't the case in game one, but they really did their homework 
on how to restructure their offense a little bit within their overall framework of the offense and make it much more efficient. We'll have to see, indeed, if that can carry over into Game 3. You know, as I go through and look at the the NBA, it's it's difficult for me to get overly excited about that series. I, I still believe that it's going to be some way, somehow, Golden State's going to get it done. I, I hope this thing goes further. We get ready, and we'll talk about this more, I'm sure, tomorrow, Jim, but getting ready for, for game number three in Cleveland. I am pumped up about that one, and I'm excited to see uh-huh. how different the Celtics look on the road. Remember, this is a team that struggled against Milwaukee in the opening round on the road. Young team, it's a lot different playing on the road as opposed to the confines of your own building. That's the one I, I'm still excited about, and I'm a LeBron fan. I, I just I want to see how he bounces back and, more importantly, gets those other guys to buy in. I'm with you. I want to see how they respond as well. Look, when they won against Toronto in four straight, you have to remember one game, which was game one, went into overtime, and they hung on barely and won by one point. Another game, which was in Cleveland, LeBron hit an off-balance running one-hander on the left side of the lane that banked in for the victory. So... It's not like they just steamrolled every game against the Raptors. They didn't. I have a feeling, however, that now that they have been matched up against Boston and they have seen what they are attempting to do, now that they don't play until Saturday night, they have plenty of time to make those necessary adjustments. I do look for the other Cavaliers, aside from LeBron James and Kevin Love, to step up and be much more productive, similar to what they were against Toronto. And I want to see, just like you, Trent, and you already referenced, they couldn't win in Milwaukee. I want to see if Boston plays any better on the road than what they did against the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm not sure that this young team can do that. I know they're riding a great high right now, and rightfully so. But you know as well as I do, the road is so much different than being in your home building. So speaking of basketball, Jim, uh, earlier today over on the college side of things, there's Mm -hmm. a proposal on the table from the ACC. They vote to expand the NCAA tournament. No, not up to 96 teams like we've heard in the past, but going from the current construction of 68 up to 72 teams. It would be an addition of two extra games in Dayton. Two more, uh, four more, excuse me, at large teams would get in with this proposal. Initial thoughts on this, Jimmy B. The ACC wants to go from 68 up to 72. Um, I don't know if... what that's going to remedy. Here's why I think they're doing it, so that the ACC can get more teams into the dance. That's why they're doing it. Um, I, I saw also on that proposal that they would leave Dayton the way it is and then have kind of like a some city out west where they could have four, four teams uh, arrive there as well and play and then move into the, in other words, they'd have two play-in tournaments instead of just one play-in tournament. So from that aspect, I don't know, Trent, would it, it, it would bring more basketball to the eyeballs, I suppose, and it might, look, we, I mean, I, I watch the play-in games. I'm not going to lie and say I didn't pay any attention to them because that's not true. Mm-hmm. I, I watched them. And so would I watch 
for other teams with a possibility of being able to play their way into the dance? Yes. Yeah, I probably would. I, and maybe, maybe it's the case where a team struggles early. And let's say one of their best players has an injury and doesn't get back really until late February or let's say mid-February, and all of a sudden now that team's on a roll and has won like five, six, seven, eight games in a row. And that's the way then they could justify it and then sneak in, and then who knows you know, what might happen out of that. So do I have a big gripe with it? Not particularly. I... I just see it as a way to expand for four more teams and then you slide them into the tournament someplace. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a I mean, I, I don't have anything against it. Yeah, I don't really have anything against it. You know, there's plenty of people out there, oh, how about we just uh, award participation trophies to everybody? Yeah. I mean, it's it's not really that. It's a little more bracket creep, but it's a couple more basketball games. Why, why am I going to yeah. complain about that? And. And frankly, it might be a better opportunity for Iowa and Iowa State and you and I to get into the dance. And I got certainly sure. no problem with, with that happening. Another opportunity for them to sneak in the back door and get to see them play another day. So now I, I'm not one of the people that's going to jump up and down and, and be all upset about it. I do like uh, what you brought up, and I had missed that part, though, about you know not just being in Dayton and having two triple headers mm-hmm. there in Dayton, but instead having something out west, something a little more geographic, putting maybe four teams out there, something like that. I, I do like that idea. I think that's something that could be very cool. Not as much travel then for the winter that gets shipped out. You know, we have teams that have to go from Dayton all the way out to one of those west sites and playing two days later. I mean, that's a lot of travel. If you're, yep. say, a team from the west coast, and you're going from west coast to Dayton, back to the west coast, and whatever it may be, that certainly makes a little bit of sense there. I understand that, and I think that's a really cool idea that goes along with it. But the people that think this is going to uh, slow down coaches complaining, well, for years it was team number 65 that that was complaining. Then it was team when they went to 65-66, and now it's team 69 that's complaining. (laughs) And it'll be team 73 that'll be complaining if they expanded up to 73. That, the complaining for whoever is left out, though, that will never end, no matter how big this tournament gets. I'm with you. There will always be somebody who thinks they got shortchanged. Mm-hmm. It, it never fails. But that's what makes it interesting. And I, I don't. Here, here's another thought that I had. And I know that the NIT starts, like, almost immediately as well. But... If you lose in the play-in game, could you slide into the NIT? No, no. Could no, they? No. You don't, can't. You don't, couldn't. You couldn't don't, make don't, that don't, work. Don't do that. Don't do that. No. Okay. Then, I was just thinking. No, the, the NIT is a separate entity. No, just let it, it be. Is. It's thirty-two team bracket. Let it just kind yeah. of be what it is. No, you, okay. you don't want to fall into that. I remember, a lot of these games are played very early too. Nah, I, I don't think they you are. Want, yeah. You don't want to get into that. Just leave it the way it is. You get beat in the opening round. You get beat in the opening. I mean, think about it. When Iowa played out in Dayton and they lost that tough overtime game to Tennessee, blowing a yes. lead. Do you think they'd be real excited then about no going no, home and would. playing Ryder? Nah. You know, no, <laughs> no. Vermont's coming to town. All right, let's get pumped up and try to win the NIT. No, yeah. I don't think that would ever work. Hey, look, I couldn't get excited about trying to beat TCU in the NIT, so I get, I get that. That's not true. Yeah, you, you, they just couldn't do it. Huh? That's not true. I mean, no, they, they couldn't. No, they, no. TCU was a better team. That's all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. TCU so, went on to win the they, NIT. Went, yeah, they did. They won the NIT. Yep. 
the uh, the thing that the thing that I get is people are just looking for more ways to enhance the the tournament, or at least in their estimation, enhance the tournament. And I, I don't have a, a big gripe about this. Look, they're never going to put a team that's under 500 unless they win a conference tournament, which has happened in the past. But for the most part, you're not going to get a team under 500 uh, in the in the NCAA tournament. So I don't have a big gripe about this. It, it I mean, I, does it matter to me if they do it? Not really. Do I like it the way it is right now? It's okay. But it is what it is. They're playing games, and you're playing to get into the NCAA tournament. Works for me. I mean, if, if you're a team that, you know, just like you referenced uh, when Iowa was in that, and they were they were trying to get into the NCAA tournament by playing Tennessee. Look what happened to Tennessee after they won that. Trent, didn't they go all the way to the uh, Sweet 16? They did. Bracket opened I, up they for did. them. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they won their yeah. opening round, and then uh, Duke got knocked yeah. off by Ner- Mercer that year. Right. They beat Mercer yeah. in the in the round of 32 to get to the Sweet 16. It can happen. You know, we saw VCU get all the way to the Final Four yes. from playing in the opening yes. round. And, and, Jim, you're still not ever going to convince me, though, that they weren't in the NCAA tournament. After after watching the Todd Licklider years like I did every single game, <laughs> I, I saw them. go back to that. I saw yeah. them on the floor with the NCAA logo you're and the NCAA. Double A paint. Yeah. It might have been on a Tuesday as opposed to a Thursday or Friday. They were in the NCAA tournament. After living that, you will never ever convince me they were not in the NCAA tournament. I I understand. I I read you loud and clear. To me, it's always the play-in game. But look, I'm not a fan of a team, so from that aspect, uh, I can just judge it the way it is. But. With the hell that uh, Hawk fans went through during uh, the Licklider years, I get it. Okay, I'm good. With that, we'll take a break. Coming back on the other side, we're going to talk with Ken Silverstein. Ken will join us. We'll talk some Cavaliers with him, take a look at LeBron and the Cavs coming back home down 0-2. We'll get into that with him, talk some Big Ten football, and a whole lot more. With you until 6 o'clock tonight on the Big Talker 1700, it's Jimmy B and TC. All right, everybody, we continue here on a glorious day in the capital city. Time to go to Cleveland and our Big Ten Conference insider, NBA NFL guy Ken Silverstein is our guest on 1700. Kenny, good afternoon, and let's start first with what is going on in the NBA, and in particular, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Here's what I found interesting. When they ended up throttling the Toronto Raptors, even though two games were nail-biters, they still swept and everybody said, oh, they're going to take care of Boston. It's going to be not much of a series. All of a sudden, Ken, we have a series, and LeBron is playing his heart out, but the other guys now have lost their way again. What's going on here? Fill us in. Well, look, it's been a problem all the way back to last July, August, when they when they made the Kyrie Irving trade. They're missing a legitimate all-star third scorer. Or in the case when Kyrie was here, he was the number two scorer, and um, Kevin Love would be... 2A, 2B, whatever you want to call it. And so Love is, particularly in Game 2, played very well. He had 22 and I want to say 14 or 15 rebounds. That's a, that's a hell of a game. That's an all-star type of game from a guy who's been a five-time all-star. LeBron scored 40-plus. 
Kyle Korver, uh, you know him, you love him, um, scored, I want to say off the top of my head, I think 11. Outside of that, it was like missing in action. And that's the problem. You're, they're asking role players to step up, and particularly on the road in playoff games, most role players have a tendency to wilt, and these guys, for the most part, are no different. Now, I expect, because history tells me that's going to be the case, that role players will play better at home, they're more comfortable, on and on and on. And so I think if the Cavaliers have any shot of getting back in this series, they better win Saturday night roughly 7.30 Central time, or this thing is going to be 3-love, and if it goes 3-0, this puppy is going to be over. One of those things that I'm real curious about, and and that is, where you talked about Love and LeBron James doing their thing and most of everybody else struggling. What's the difference then with what the Celtics are doing defensively in comparison to what the Raptors attempted to do but couldn't get it done? Well, I'll even add one other thing, Jim. These two teams played right after the trading deadline way back, feels like a lifetime ago, back in February of this year. It was a Sunday afternoon game. It was on national TV. And the Cavaliers went into uh, Boston and blew them out. I mean, it was like, I don't know the exact score. Maybe Trent can look it up real quick. It was like by roughly 30 points. I mean, it yeah. was laughable. It was, it was, it was disgraceful. People were leaving at the end of the third quarter, uh, which never happens in Boston. So fast forward now a couple months later, and what you're seeing is Jalen Brown, Tatum, Smart, and a local product, Terry Rozier, who lit him up in the third quarter. Uh, look, I mentioned this last I've, I've watched Terry Rozier play high school ball. Um, the high school where he played is eight minutes from where, I, where I'm talking to you from. I can, I can walk there. So I play a lot in high school. And I thought he was a good player. I was a little surprised that Louisville wanted him. Um, thought he wasn't of that level of skill set. Went to Louisville. It was a good player, maybe better than that, but he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't a top five pick. He wasn't even a top ten pick. And I even thought when he was taken, he was a smidge taken too high. All right. So I've watched him during his NBA career and he's been basically a third guard. Okay. Good player, but not anybody who you're going to go, Oh my goodness. This guy's going to help somebody win a series. Well, guess what? I think he's made a deal with the devil because all of a sudden Terry Rozier in the last couple of series, He's going to make himself a lot of money uh, because mm-hmm. he is flat out, pardon the pun, balling, and he is killing the Cavs. Um, they're killing him with youth, quickness, length, and a defensive ferocity that Indiana showed in round one that the finesse-oriented uh, Toronto Raptors did not. The Cavs, except for LeBron and Tristan Thompson, and to some extent, Kevin Love are a finesse team. Okay. Corver's finesse player, J.R. Smith's a finesse player, George Hill's a finesse player, on and on and on. I'm not going to go through the whole roster. Either. And they're mugging them. Now, what's going to be interesting is, and I don't think they're going to be able to get away with it because I know they, Jim, you know how the NBA works. You've been around this yep. for a long time. You don't get the calls on the road, especially in a game three like this. The crowd is going to be unbelievable. It's going to be a Saturday night. These people are going to be lathered up, better yet. They're going to have a few drinks in them. And the refs are going to get intimidated a little bit. 
and they're not going to get the calls. So watch the game to be called differently. Boston's going to have to either back off a little bit or get their key guys in foul trouble. That'll be up to Brad Stevens to figure out. They're not going to be able to get away with some of the mugging that they've been able to do. Now, look, they've done the same thing the last couple of years, and it hasn't worked. The difference this time is that they're a little bit deeper, a little bit better, and they're using the same basically hold, grab, tackle, whatever you can get away with, they're doing, and they're getting away with it. Because for the most part, the refs are allowing them to play like that. I don't think in Game 3 and Game 4 Monday night they're going to be allowed to be as physical as they would like to be like they've been in the first two games. Ken, uh, with that, this very well could be the final season uh, for LeBron in Cleveland. If it ends here at the hands of the Celtics and we see, oh, not a sweep, anything like that, but let's say they get it done, I'll, I'll say in six games, and, and that speed component plus what Boston has coming back with Hayward and Kyrie going forward, what's the likelihood in your estimation that, that this, this is the last season we see LeBron James play in a Cleveland uniform? Well, I've been saying it for weeks, and nobody knows, okay? Nobody knows, and I don't even think he knows. And if he does know, in my dealings with him for the last 15, 16 years, he's an ebb and flow guy, and it's a timing thing, and you can kind of get a vibe one day or one hour, and then later on something occurs, and the vibe is different. So it's he's a very difficult guy to read. Um his circle is a lot smaller than people think it is. It's only about four or five people. They've been the same four or five people since he was 17, 18 years old. No one comes in. No one leaves. Loyalty to the max. Um, these people have been taken care of to the max. Uh, so it is, it is really, really, really impossible. But with that said, I think he's going to leave now. I went back, because this is the way my brain works, and I had some time. And I said to myself, let me go back in history and check when he left the last time, meaning LeBron James. And the date was July 10th. I, I knew it was in July. I couldn't remember what day it was. It was July 10th. Okay. And I said to myself, you know what? I need to refresh my memory. What was, what occurred? What were, what did the Cavaliers get? How did they, how did they work this thing? And a lot of people have forgotten, unless you are into this like I am up to my eyeballs every day, and that is it was a sign-and-trade deal. A lot of people forget that LeBron just didn't go to take his talent to South Beach, and in this case the Cleveland Cavaliers got nothing in return. They ended up getting five draft picks, three first, two seconds. Now, I don't know. I can promise you this is going to be a sign-and-trade deal, okay, if I know LeBron, LeBron's got a pretty big heart. He is not going to he's not going to leave and not allow the Cavaliers to get something in return. Now, what that is, is it a sign and trade? Is it a straight is it a more complicated deal? Maybe a third team involved? I don't know. But all I know is what happened last time. Then the question becomes can if he does leave and it is a sign and trade and I'm almost positive it will be a sign and trade deal. Can the Cavaliers from their perspective get as much as they did last time around when he went to um, Miami in the heat? I don't know. The argument would be from let's say 
Philadelphia or Houston or wherever he would go is that he's an older player and that what occurred X amount of years ago wouldn't be the same value. So I think that argument will win out. So I don't think the Cavaliers would get as many draft picks, but I think they would get probably three-ish would be my guess. They'll ask for five. They'll probably have to settle between three and four draft picks. It'll be a combination of first and seconds uh, that they will get when, assuming I'm correct, he does leave in a sign-and-trade. He will not leave them high and dry. I will go to my grave knowing that will not occur. He did it once. He will not do it again. He will leave, but he will not leave them with a covered baron. It'll be up to them to pick the right picks in future NBA drafts or to use these picks to trade for other players, but he will not leave without a sign-and-trade because he did it once. I know he'll do it again. It will be a sign-and-trade deal if he leaves, which I assume he will. Ken Silverstein is our guest here on the Big Talker 1700. Ken, quickly, take me to the game last night because whoever comes out of Boston-Cleveland is going to meet the winner of Houston and Golden State. Rockets pummeled Golden State last night. They've even that series at 1-1. Does it now appear to you that the Rockets can indeed play with the Warriors and truly make this a competitive series? If they can win, Jim, one of the next two games, they got to go back to Houston for game five at 2-2. They cannot go back down 3-1. There's no way they're going to be up 3-1. They're not going to win the next two in Oakland. That ain't going to happen in any lifetime. The best I think they can hope for, I know they can hope for, is a split. If they can go back 2-2, then this thing will go obviously 6 and probably 7. I said to you over the last couple weeks, the only way I see the Rockets winning this thing is to take it to seven, keep it close, get a call at the end, and somehow squeak out a win. Um, I, that's the only scenario, at least from my perspective, where I see them winning. If they lose the next two, I think it's going to be a short series. If they win the next two, I will be befuddled because I don't think it's going to happen. But if they can split the next two, go back at two and two, for game five in Houston, knowing that at least we'll go six and possibly good seven, the longer this series goes, the better the odds improve for Houston because they got to get this to game seven in Houston. I know they've already lost one home game, but you take your chances at home in a game seven, even against Golden State, in a best of one that you might be able to eat out of win. If you can, then obviously they'll take on either Cleveland or right now it would be Boston. So it's uh, that time where we're getting through things. Cleveland at the forefront of our conversations. Ken, I'm thinking football, though. I, I'm always thinking football. So I want to talk some Big Ten football with you. And everybody's posting now, national writers, regional writers, their post-spring top 25s. We're mm-hmm. seeing as many as five teams from the Big Ten in there. You got Michigan with increased expectations with Shea Patterson. Of course, Ohio State always has expectations. Michigan State returns a ton off of last year's team. And, of course, Penn State, along with Wisconsin, rounding out that group of five. Is there a team out of that group that you still have a lot of concerns about, that you you still look like and say, yeah, they might be 8-4, and four, but you struggle to see being in contention to, to be in the college football playoff, to winning a Big Ten title? 
I got to tell you, um, no, I, I think all five of them are really good. Now, I don't think Wisconsin is as good as the other four, particularly or the top two in the East, but because of geography, and we've talked it at, at ad nauseum, how much of an advantage, at least right now, and that's up to Iowa and Nebraska and Northwestern and others, uh, Purdue, to make a run at them, okay, and hopefully topple of them, because it's getting old seeing Wisconsin and Indianapolis every year, okay, <laughs> but... You know, for Badger fan out there, they have an advantage. If they were in the East, eh, well, it wouldn't be so pretty for them. But because of the way the conference is set up, at least right now over the last few years, and I think everyone assumes they're going to be the front runner again here in 18. So, no, I, I really don't see many weaknesses. I, re- I really don't. Um, I think Penn State's going to be really good. Um, I think McSorley, even though I'm not the biggest McSorley guy, he, he gets it done. He wins games. Um, Ohio State's Ohio State. Michigan is going to be better with Shea Patterson. He's got to be better than what they've had at QB over the last few years. Michigan State brings back about 90% roughly of their starting 22. Um, Wisconsin, obviously, Taylor's back at running back. Their quarterback is back. They lose a little bit on defense, but he'll, he'll find somebody. He'll find some three-star player from high school ranks that'll come in and, and bedazzle. So Wisconsin is going to be the Badgers. So, uh, no, I really don't see any. I'll turn it around and, and post it to you guys. I assume we all agree that Wisconsin and the Big Four in East, so it equals five. Who might be a six-team in the Big Ten in football that could crack the top 25? Let's say, obviously not in the top 10, but let's say around 22, 23, 24, 25. Anybody jump out at you as of uh, today? Which is what May uh, May seventeenth, I guess it is today. Well, I'll, I'll jump in first here, Ken, and it's mm-hmm. maybe a homer pick, but it's right here in the state of Iowa. It's Iowa, I believe, a, a group of junior talent that it's incredibly good. You saw Monty Hooker what he did last year against Ohio State, mm-hmm. kicking off that game with the pick six. The defensive line is going to be very good. A defensive end and Anthony Nelson on one side that's uh, looking to be destined for double digit sacks. AJ Epinesa on the other side, an offense that. That showed signs a year ago. There were bad moments, road games against Michigan State and Wisconsin. There were great moments. The road win at Iowa State and, of course, the victory against Ohio State. If that offense takes another step forward, the schedule is going to be there. They get Wisconsin in Kinnick. They get Northwestern in Kinnick. They get Nebraska in Kinnick. The only crossover against the big teams from the East are against Penn State. The other two are Indiana and Maryland. The schedule is there. The home schedule is set up. Iowa would be a team that I would look at that could jump right. in there and, and have a ten and two type season. What do you think, let me uh, let me fo- yeah let me follow up uh, because Trent uh, said it very well. What this looks like to me is similar to when Iowa went twelve and zero during the regular yeah. season. Softer schedule. It sets up perfect for the Hawkeyes, and they have a returning quarterback in Nate Stanley who knows how to play. And look, Ken, you talk about this all the time. You got a quarterback that can play, you got a chance to win. So I'm with Trent on this. Yeah. He plays half as good as he did against Ohio State. (laughs) They're going to win, they're going to win a bunch of games. You're right. Schedule is kind. Non-conference schedule outside of Iowa State, which is obviously the rivalry game, so you never know what could happen in, in a rivalry game, and we've seen that over the years between uh, the Cyclones and, and the Hawkeyes, uh, witness even uh, the Pasco around. 
I'll throw one more in, and maybe I'm jumping on the Jeff Brom bandwagon a little bit uh, too much. Their schedule's more difficult on paper than Iowa. Um, I'm still a little funky uh, with the two-quarterback system, but it seemed to work uh, for the most part last year uh, for Jeff Brom. I would throw in Purdue possibly um, as a team that could, could maybe get there, but I, I would agree with you. I think Iowa... Um, has better talent uh, than Purdue. They have a better schedule than Purdue. Um, and I'm not ready. I think a year from now you could throw Nebraska possibly in the mix, but it's tough in a first year uh, for Scott Frost. And you throw in that he may play the freshman Martinez, the kid out of Fresno, California, at quarterback. It's tough, uh, particularly if he plays a freshman, a bunch of QB. Kid's going to make mistakes. He's going to make some plays. Pretty good player. He was a four-star. Tennessee and Ohio State looked at him. They both backed away because of some shoulder issues. Nebraska said we're going to roll the dice. He looked really good in the spring game if you watched it. So um, the young Martinez uh, kid at quarterback for Nebraska could be could be pretty good. But, again, he's a freshman, and you just don't know. I mean, especially on the road, who knows what might happen with a freshman QB. So, um I think Nebraska's a little further down the road. But, yeah, you could make a hell of a case for Iowa. The question's going to be, can they topple Wisconsin? Wisconsin, mm-hmm. on paper, has got a more difficult schedule. Um, but uh, we'll see. Um, but I agree with Jim. This might be it may entrant. It may be set up where it ain't 12-0. and 0, It's a minimum 10-2, and 11-1, um, particularly if they can stay healthy at QB and um, – I do like the two defensive ends. I think both of them are going to be uh, future NFL players. And it's going to be welcome to the Big Ten for Scott Frost. Uh, so this, their crossovers this year with the East, at Michigan, at Ohio State, and they get Ouch. Michigan State at home. So those are their three crossovers. Yeah. You couple that. This <laughs> you know is, what? This year they have to go to Wisconsin and to Northwestern and to Iowa, and they're good probably luck. three biggest uh, rivals in the West. Uh, good luck. Good luck, Scott Frost. Yeah, yeah. I, and again, if he, go, if he goes six and seven, or not six and seven, five and six, six and six, whatever the math is, I know there are going to be some fans who are going to be bummed, but that's a, that is a killer schedule. Yeah. Um, it's amazing year to year with these crossover games how from the West particularly, if you can stay away from two or three of the big four, if somehow it just works where you stay away from a combination of, I don't know, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, if you can stay away from two or three of those, uh, you are looking at a much more advantageous schedule. Yes, Maryland is feisty and they're better. Rutgers is Rutgers. And Indiana, on a given day, can give you some trouble, but there's still the Hoosiers. It's a basketball school. And until they become, you know what I'm saying, better at football in so many words, more than a 6-6 six six squad usually, uh, then, then you're looking at your, your crossovers and going, okay, yeah, we can deal with that. Thank you, schedule maker. It's a really good thing that we're staying away from most of the big boys in the East because I tell you what, the difference between the big four, whoever you rank at number one, and whoever you rank fourth, there's it's not that big, okay? It's not that big. It, it, it's, there's a little bit of a gap in recruiting, okay? But if you have Michigan State at fourth, that's pretty good. D'Antonio is a hell of a coach. 
and they play over their heads sometimes. They got a returning quarterback. They got L.J. Scott coming back. Iowa fans remember him from a couple of years ago on the goal line. Kid seems like he's been in college forever at Michigan State. Okay, he's an Ohio kid. L.J. Scott will be back running the ball again for uh, for the Sparties. So, um, yeah, it's it's it can't happen soon enough, guys. Uh, Labor Day weekend cannot occur soon enough for this season, for the most part, to begin in college football. Ken, it's always good when you take time with us. Thank you, man. You have a great rest of the week. Enjoy the weekend as well and that Cavalier-Boston series. Look forward to it. We'll talk to you next Thursday, guys. Hey, can I sneak in one more for you, Ken, before we let you run? Go. Yep. Hey, I just wanted to jump over to baseball a little bit. The Indians sit at 500. My Twins uh, game and a half back as we go into play here tonight and get ready for the weekend. Uh, how are the Natives right now out in Cleveland right now with this Indian squad? Obviously the division, they're for the taking, but they're not off to the start that I think anybody anticipated. No, not when you went 102 games last year and won at one time 22 in a row. Starting pitching has been real good. Offense is getting better. The weather warmed up and their offense has warmed up at the same time. Bullpen has been a major disaster. They lost two guys in free agency. They basically have not replaced them. Uh, they're going to have to make a move before July 31st. Um, I think they're going to win the division. Because, um, again, uh, if it was the American League East right now, they'd be seven, eight games back of the Yankees and the Red Sox. If they were in the West, they'd be basically trailing Houston and the Angels for the most part. So they're lucky where they are geographically in the Central. I think they'll still win it. They have the best pitching uh, they have the postseason savviness. Um, twins will give them a little bit of a, a tussle, but I, I think unless unless they just have major injuries or fall flat on their almighty kissers collectively, um, I think they'll win the division. The question is, can they beat Boston? Can they beat the Yankees? Can they beat Houston particularly? And I'd say as of this conversation, I would say even with their big three, and their big three at Kluber, Carrasco, and Bauer are really good. I still don't think they're good enough to beat the other big boys in the American League. But, again, it's only the middle of May. We'll see what happens between now and the trading deadline, and we'll see uh, how bold these teams are, the Twins, the Indians, and everybody else. And we'll see if they can improve their uh, their 25-man rosters from A to Z. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Ken, for joining us. We'll talk again next week. Look forward to it, guys. Have a good weekend. Ken Silverstein joining us, our Big Ten Conference Insider, taking a look at the Cavs, the Indians, a little bit of everything here on a Thursday with Ken. Always good catching up with him here. So what do you expect to see back in Cleveland? Games 3 and 4 uh, will get on Saturday and then again on Monday. Where do you sit as you look at it right now, Brinson? I, I look for the Cavs to rebound in both, knowing the importance and being at home. Trent, we talk about it all the time, and people seem to think that having home ice advantage in the playoffs in the NHL is just like having home court advantage in the NBA, and it is definitely not. And I talk about it all the time. Buildings are loud in the NHL, but with the glass surrounding everything, players don't hear those personal insults. They just hear loud noise, where in the NBA, people sitting at courtside, for the most part in most arenas, you always get some knuckleheads that are really nasty. And there's nothing like somebody screaming at you and cursing and saying all kinds of things about your mama when you're trying to make a free throw. So 
I I anticipate Cleveland Saturday night will be lit up as Ken Silverstein indicated, literally lit up. And I think that the Cavaliers will show a much better effort. I believe they'll win that game. And then I think Boston will be much more competitive in the second game after they have experienced that Cleveland arena, at least in a playoff atmosphere. Mm -hmm. I think that game will be closer, but I still think Cleveland will prevail and will go back to Boston at 2-2. Good stuff. We'll take the break here, come back, put a cap on our number one. Here with you until 6 o'clock tonight, Jimmy B and TC on 1700. Hey, just about a minute to go here as we wrap up our number one, Jimmy B and TC. Trent kind of back with you. Want to tell you a little bit about an event we have coming up next Wednesday out at Exile Brewing Company. Stop on out. Going to be having 25-cent Ruthies, the first 250 pours just 25 cents a Ruthie out at Exile as it is the 25th anniversary of the Des Moines Menace. So a little uh, get-together with some of the Menace players and coaches. They'll be out there, some free swag, but those 25-cent Ruthies. And uh, get there early right at 4 o'clock as we kick off the program. We'll be live out there on Wednesday. Get that early pour because you know I'm going to be tapping in right away. And, well, come on out. We'll throw a headset on you, put you on mic. Whatever you got. Questions? I got answers. We'll have some fun. Exile Brewing Company next Wednesday from 4 until 6 o'clock. 25-cent Ruthie's. Going to be a great time. We're kicking off the 5 o'clock hour. Getting into some more wagering talk with the legalization of sports gambling across the country. At least the ability for each state to do it. Chris Andrews will join us live from Vegas with the South Point Casino. He's a sportsbook director. How does it impact Vegas? What loopholes do they have to jump through here in our straight state and across the country? That and a whole lot more. Chris Andrews kicks off the second hour next on Jimmy B and TC.